Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. Nice to have you with us today. There's a new study from the Samara Polytech University in Russia that talks about chemicals, natural chemicals, in a number of plants that provide anti-cancer properties. Extracts from black chokeberries, raspberries, fireweed, have a special anti-carcinogenic and antioxidant effect. That's good. But they also looked at the lingonberry, the, uh, the grapes, the green tea, ginseng, also had strong anti-cancer properties, especially colorectal cancer properties. This was published in the Proceedings of the University's Applied Chemistry and Biotechnology. Now, we know that eating a healthy plant-based diet is optimal. A vegan diet is at the high end of that if it's organic, preferably locally produced, because then your food is fresher, has more of the nutrient value. It also is good for the environment when it's grown locally. But most people don't realize how many different chemicals. Generally, we have at least studied between 100 to 500 chemicals in a different product. There could be thousands more. The point is that you're not getting this from processed food, denatured, devalued, and diseased food. You're getting this when you're eating healthily. It is now well known that anywhere from 50% to 90% of all malignant tumors can be prevented with proper nutrition based upon natural products that we consume. That is prevention. Why? Because of the polyphenols, poly, P-O-L-Y, phenols, P-H-E-N-O-L-S, are the largest variety of plant components. And these have powerful antioxidant properties. They fight cellular aging caused by free radicals. They slow down the aging process by preventing oxidation. They protect the body from inflammatory, uh, cardiovascular, neurodegenerative diseases and some forms of cancer. So this was done at the Department of Technology in, in, the, uh, in the university. So it's just another proof that yes, if you're eating a healthy plant-based diet, you're on the right side of the choices you're making. From Ohio State University, they found in tomatoes that the more you consume, the less skin cancer that you can have. In fact, in this one laboratory study, it was 50%. This was published in the Review Journal Scientific Reports. Now, you can have tomatoes by having a tomato powder or tomato juice or taking tomatoes um, and putting them in your salad, or you actually get more value when you heat the tomato tomatoes. It makes the nutrients more bioavailable. So, therefore, I would suggest sauces, which is one of the reasons that those that are in the Western uh, Mediterranean. Remember, there's two sides to the Mediterranean, the Eastern Mediterranean, where you have your Balkan states, and your Western Mediterranean, which you have Italy and Spain and uh, Greece, all right, and some of the other countries that are very important. Their diets are radically different. One's very heavy in meat and pork and processed fats, and the other is very light in those, and more on grains, nuts, seeds, legumes, fresh fish out of the Mediterranean and a tremendous difference in their life expectancies also. So they eat a lot of tomatoes. In fact, almost every, every place you go into someone's home, you'll see, well, it depends upon the home and the people, but you'll see these uh, groupings of roping, is what is called roping of garlic. Well, they'll take a long string of bulb garlic and then they just peel those off and use them. They do a lot of baking of the large um, garlic. These are larger than what you would normally see. Some are the size of, let's say, a, a lemon. And they bake it, and then they just open it up and mash it up, and then they'll put their olive oil on and their seasonings. And, and they use that. Everything smells like garlic, which is a wonderful smell when you're hungry. And, and But the sauces... And again, they're not using the American Italian or American French or American Spanish way of cooking, which is high heat and fast. 
Everything is slow. In fact, you'll see the fire's barely on. Now, I've been in Italian homes, French homes, and I've been all over. And I've, I'm always curious about how people live. And, and, and I'll tell people, hey, do you need any work done? I can do just about anything, carpentry, you know, anything in landscaping I can do. I'm a certified organic farmer. I raise bees. You know, uh, even today, big, big storm coming to Texas, going to be down at zero or close to it. And that will kill off most bee colonies. Now, most bees will not go out after, after the temperature goes below 30 degrees. So there was a discussion today how to help protect bees. And I said, you get a double bales of hay. You take them six feet up, make a complete circle, six feet away from the hives. Then you feed three times a day. You feed honey in trays at each hive. If you've got, in this case, 13 hives, then you have to make sure those are kept that way. And then you get some independent heat sources and you put them outside the hives because bees will congregate in there to keep the queen at the center of the hive uh, protected. The drones are on the outside, and normally there's the ones dying. Why you see bees dying all over the, the upper United States is because they don't protect them. Just like they, they will have in a freak storm where the temperature goes from, let's say, 70 down to 30, you have a lot of animals dying. They can't take that quick drop in temperature. They can't acclimate. But if you have barns out in your pasture, it's a windbreak. And it's the wind chill that kills most people and most animals. So you get them in out of the wind, and you get them sheltered, and you have food, some hay. They survive. So simple things. In any case, when I'm in these countries and... Uh, and I ask, can I, you know, help? And in return, I just want to observe, you know. And they're fine with that. And it's fun to see how many things people have in common around the world, especially people who live closer to the earth, more natural and authentic lives. And because their hands are in the soil, you're outside, you're, you're, you're around nature. And that is both a humbling experience and an exhilarating experience, you know, because in your your, your body is, your immune system is being helped the more you're out in nature. That's always good. And also you're learning more about life when you're out in nature. So in this case, when I see people from, let's say, living very long lives, the first thing that I ask is I say, you laugh a lot, you smile a lot, you love a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Top of our list. And, uh, and, Long ago, I, I wrote a paper, and it was called Happy People Get Less Cancer. It was about the core of our existence should be happiness. From that, everything else emanates. And true happiness is you're happy at life, not just your own, but how you can also align with other people's lives. It has nothing to do with the difference in the color of your skin or the culture you come from or your income or education. In fact, all of those um, are only of interest to the degree that you can appreciate someone else's uniqueness of age. I remember one of the first older people I ever met coming from a society that, back in West Virginia that still appreciated the wisdom of the elder population. But when I was in New York, a friend of mine, Richard, was a pianist for this absolutely remarkable artist. In fact, he was considered one of the America's most important Renaissance artists, Paul Swan. And he invited me down. And it was interesting because I was there and I saw what Women's Wear Daily wrote as a review. And the, I was the only guy in the room, young guy, young 20s. And here was this man, 80. And at first, before the music and him coming out, I had a chance to go back in this Van Dyke studio, a small place. There must have been 70 women packed in there. And they were all older women, some in their 90s. And they had followed him his whole career. He was an, he was an author, a playwright, a sculptor, a poet. Uh, people would sit from all over the world for him to draw their portraits. He was a magnificent artist. He was a mime he danced on Broadway in his own shows. 
And boy, boy, when the curtain was pulled back, he was just transformed. You did not see an older man. You didn't see that. You saw the vibrancy of life, which tells us that he was a happy person. And therefore, all of his art, he was able to do unencumbered because he was able to express what he saw in the world and nature and people. He didn't paint you or sculpt you um, because you were Democrat or Republican, rich or poor. You were a human being. He looked for the sacredness in all things. And I sat one night when it was raining and he had a, uh, he had a glass roof and he just had one light on and he was sitting in front of a canvas. So I saw him start with his sketching and then his painting. And after about three hours, he looked over. He said, what are you looking at? And I said, I'm, I'm just photographing in my mind this absolutely unique opportunity. I was a photographer also. And, uh, and again, to this day, I can, I can remember that exactly because I made it important. A lot of things I don't make important. Last names, <laughs> I'm lucky to remember anyone's last name. Telephone numbers, forget about it. Anything technological on a computer, Google dumbest guy in the world, and I'm smiling back at you when it comes to anything technical on a computer. Scientist, that's a different story, and all the other things I chose to master were important, so I didn't clutter my brain with things that are not important. And, uh, but when you know you're in an important place looking at someone who has seen the world, that gap between me, young, naive, and pretty much innocent of all things, trusting and believing, and a man who had been there, seen that, done that, and could speak about it with the insight and uniqueness of an oracle. And we don't do that today, and we should. So when you're in other societies, especially in the Mediterranean, in South America, in Jamaica, and Trinidad, and in all the other countries, you see such a love and joy and happiness of different generations sharing that energy together. And I just wish that we understood how much of our depression, how much of our loneliness comes from this artificial idea that, and there's nothing, it's artificial because there's nothing authentic in it, that older people let them go on, you know, they're, out, they're not in your life, they're not a part of you, they don't have your knowledge, they don't have your wisdom, they don't know how to inter use the internet like you do. You know, let them go and die someplace. Instead of saying, my God, you know, young people know so little next to nothing about life. These older people have a better understanding. We need to get back to that interrelational dynamic. Anyhow, so in this case, what they found is they eat a lot of tomatoes. I mean, a lot of tomatoes and lightly cooked tomatoes. So it, you get more nutrients and they have a lot less cancer. It's that simple. Now, from Ben-Gurion University, which is in Israel, and this was published in the peer-reviewed journal, the European Journal of Internal Medicine, cannabis reduces blood pressure in older adults. That's a new discovery by researchers from Ben-Gurion University in the Negev, and, uh, and its affiliated Soroka University Medical Center, shows that medical cannabis can reduce blood pressure. That's important. Because much better that without the side effects than the drugs with the side effects. Also, and I've talked about this before, but I want to emphasize again because it was just in the peer-reviewed journal Cancer. This is research University of Texas Health Science Center. People living in regions with high levels of outdoor artificial light at night, that's your street lamps, for example, or billboards, face a higher risk of developing thyroid cancer. That's right. Over the past century, nightscapes, especially in cities, have drastically changed due to the rapid growth of electric lighting. Also, epidemiological studies have reported an association between higher satellite measured levels of nighttime light and elevated cancer risk in the breast. And because some breast cancers may share a common hormone-dependent basis with thyroid cancer, a team at the university looked for an association between light at night and later development of 
thyroid cancer. And this was in the NIH's AARP diet and health study. And this was over a one-year period. And they found there was definitely an association. So light at night, bad. And dark, dark, very good. Interesting because when I'm down in Texas, there is no light at night and you sleep better. Uh, when you're in New York City, I have to wear a patch, not patch, but a cloth over my, um, a silk cloth over my eyes so that there's no light that penetrates. Because you don't want light penetrating. That means light from your room, light from a computer or a television, light from outside, because that is not good for you. And finally, from the University of Texas Health Center, what is in citrus, and this is one of the reasons I've suggested, though it's bitter, and I would use some either stevia or manuka honey, small amount, to cut the bitterness, it's in the skin. It's a nutrient, and it targets the circadian network to promote bioenergetics and healthy aging. And it's called Nobilitin, N-O-B-I-L-E-T-I-N, N-O-B-I-L-E-T-I-N. And it's very important because it helps to get your circadian clock, which is the biological mastermind governing orderly execution of bodily processes throughout the day. And in recent years, we've seen a lot of people have problems with their clocks modulatory agents. Um, but here we have these small little um, natural origin uh, nutrients, and it's, it's a naturally occurring flavonoid, and you get the most of it when you consume citrus peels. Now, right now, there happens to be in, in uh, season kumquats. Now, they're bitter, but they're extremely nutritious, little things. You just, you know, uh, if you want to take, you can just take a little basing brush and base some honey on it and eat them. They're very good for you, but you can also juice them. And that way you're getting this nobilitin, and that's going to be good for you. It can regulate your biological activities, and that is important for your overall health. Oh, and by the way, one more reason not to drink caffeine if you're pregnant the University of Rochester Medical Center published an article showing that this new research that caffeine consumed during pregnancy can change important brain pathways that can lead to behavioral problems later in life in your child. And that's really important. And they did what are called URMC uh, scans. And uh, from the from the center, and where I should say this is the Monte Institute of Neuroscience at the university, and they analyzed thousands of brain scans in nine and 10-year-olds and revealed changes in the brain structure in children who were exposed to caffeine in utero. So that's why we have a lot of hyperactive kids. This was published in the Prairie Journal of Neuropharmacology. So one more reason to drink juices, yes. Tomorrow I'll tell you about how stress and illness, even sunburn, triggers herpes, cold sore, flare-ups. New study from the University of Virginia School of Medicine, but we're out of time for that today. We are 19 minutes into our program. I'm Gary Knoll, broadcasting through our Progressive Radio Network uh, studio in New York. I'm in Florida at the Animal Sanctuary, uh, finding homes. Just uh, got a cat back. Uh, <laughs> My God, they, they must talk to each other at night because every night there's another feral cat showing up. And they're all skin and bones. They're all malnourished. And they are all loving, you know, uh, not necessarily to each other. But two are very friendly. I'm assuming they're uh, two brothers from the same litter that someone at some point decided no longer to feed, no longer care for. That's so inhumane. But here, you know, I don't turn any away. And we got it to the vet and got it taken care of, got it neutered so it's no longer aggressive. And uh, now it just, 
oh, my goodness, it's just happy. Everywhere you look, there it is. It goes over to the dogs, and, of course, the dogs don't quite know what to do about it. Sprout, the 18-year-old, kind of goes, come near me, and I'll bite your face. But the little one, the little cutie, uh, she just goes right up and gives it a lick and says, I'll be your friend. And he's, okay, I'll hang out with you. <laughs> Sprout says, no, you won't. And I have to deal with this all day long. But there are four now at night, so the kibbles, uh, the special organic kibbles, and the wild salmon and everything. Eating in the morning, of course, there's one little creature, and we kept ca- catching him every day. I have humane traps because there's some creatures that are not going to be friendly and can be dangerous, including wild raccoons that could hold rabies, that'll eat anything they find or kill anything they can. And uh, so we trap them, and uh, they go out and or let go in nature or taken to animal uh, control that will take them out, depending upon the species. And uh, But the little creatures that you want that eat ticks, what creature eats more ticks than any other creature? Possums. And every night this possum goes into that trap because there's some food in there for it. And there it is in the morning just waiting. Okay, let me out. I want to go. I'll come back tonight. Can you change the kibble? I'm bored with that one. So I've got a whole family of possums. No ticks. That's good news. Anyhow, always remember, if you see a feral animal, um, it deserves a home. It deserves a chance. Um, It deserves a break. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, here's something new for you. And this is important. You're going to hear from a medical doctor who also is an outstanding researcher, very scholarly. And she's going to show you that there is no science. When I say no science, I mean no science legitimating the use of the PCR as the determining cause of COVID-19. Now, I've told you this. We've shown you the proof of this. In fact, last night, late last night, I uh, approved the final interview of myself and Dr. Kerry Mullis, who won the Nobel Prize for discovering the PCR. It's an hour and 52 minutes. We're posting it today on PRN.FM, and it should be up at some point today. And therefore, you can watch the whole interview. And there is no other interview out there like this. Uh, And so this was done in 1996. So you have a chance to see this. 1993, sorry. A different one was 1996. I did four interviews with him. This is the long one. And you'll hear him in there say that, no, PCR is good for amplification, but it's not good for diagnosing. And yet everybody in America, everybody around the world is getting tested with the PCR, a fraudulent test for this, being diagnosed as a case, even though they may have no virus in them at all from this this uh, COVID, this SARS virus, and then being treated or being restricted, or the rights taken away of where they can fly and when and who they can be with. And even now, today, Fauci made another statement about, well, yes, but you're going to have to be vaccinated indefinitely every year, and still you can't just go out and you have to still be masked. And so so this is a game that's got to stop, and unfortunately, they're not. And so I'm going to play you a tape to give you an idea of why people are lining up like lemons going over a cliff when there's no science that's legitimate to establish what they're doing will make a difference, where things we know will make a difference and protect you can make a difference. And also the science is in now from multiple sources, including Nobel Prize winning people from Stanford University, epidemiologists, mathematicians, showing you there is no greater death rate today than there is normally. They've just recast the figures for flu to this So, yes, the virus is real, and yes, this phony, completely fraudulent uh, report from the World Health Organization where the man that they selected to go in and be the arbiter of where did this originate is the man who actually paid for the research at the Wuhan Institute and has a lot to gain from this. And, of course, they said after three hours, no, there's no, it didn't originate here. They're lying. It's all lies. We'll give you all that today. By the way, if you've never heard of Alan Watts, who died very young, uh, he died, what was he? Watts was about 50, 58 or some. He was in his 50s. I, I know that 
I had met him briefly on one of my tours. He died in 1973. A wonderful man. You're going to hear from Alan Watts today, and you're also going to hear, in his own words, from one of the greatest prophetic minds, Aldous Huxley, today. So Alice Huxley, Aldous Huxley, and also Glenn Greenwald coming at you, along with Alan Watts, right after this. Over and over again, we hear the media stating how many people have tested positive for COVID-19. The problem is that this makes no sense at all. Today, I'm going to explain why as we dig deeper into PCR tests once again and have a look behind the curtain of this COVID pandemic. The purpose of using tests in clinical medicine is to distinguish between having or not having a particular condition or disease. For example, is a patient with chest pain having or not having a heart attack? Is a woman who missed her period pregnant or not? But a test and a condition are not the same thing. I've never had a woman come into my clinic and say, I think I might be positive for pregnancy. She either has a positive or negative pregnancy test and her condition is either pregnant or not pregnant. All tests detect something. Let's call it the object of interest. And most go further and determine how much. For example, we may check the blood concentrations of glucose and cholesterol. These are direct tests, meaning the object of interest is the test, but there are many indirect tests where what is being measured is a reliable surrogate for the object of interest. For example, when you have a heart attack, a doctor will measure an enzyme that leaks from your damaged heart muscle cell rather than chopping out a piece of your heart muscle to examine it under a microscope. Some tests, such as home pregnancy tests, are classified as positive or negative. Pregnancy tests become positive at a certain threshold of hormone being detected in the urine, which have been reliably established over a long period of time. We use indirect tests because they are simple, safe, quick and cheap. But indirect tests have a caveat. Before they are introduced into routine clinical practice with real patients, it is absolutely essential to determine how well they match the object of interest. There are long-established scientific methods for doing this. Obviously, this involves evaluating the test against the object of interest whose presence or absence is determined independently of the test. So now that we've established the rules, let's get into COVID-19. The mainstream theory is that a new virus called SARS-CoV-2 is the cause of a new disease called COVID-19. The test for SARS-CoV-2 is not for the whole virus, the complete sublight microscopic particle itself. Perhaps most familiar is this computer-generated image we see on the news. The test is supposed to detect a 1% fragment of an RNA molecule, its genome, said to reside inside the virus particle. Based on its detection, a person is deemed infected with the virus SARS-CoV-2 because this tiny fragment is regarded as de facto for 100% of the virus's RNA. It could be seen as finding a horse-like hair as evidence of the horse itself. This is problematic for three reasons. First, while there are many papers revealing the existence of the viral RNA and the presence of coronavirus-like particles on electron micrographs, there are none proving that the RNA comes from inside those particles. In fact, there is now a 225,000 euro prize for proof of isolation of the virus and its contained genome. Second, because no test is 100% reliable, the RNA detected by the PCR may not be the 1% of the viral genome. Third, since there are no reports of RT-PCR evaluated against the virus itself, no one knows how many people who test positive for the virus are actually infected with the virus. It's like we've found the horse here but can't say anything about the horse or the jockey. Not a good situation, but this is what happens when scientists, for whatever reasons, cut corners and ignore the basics for establishing test parameters. The detonator for the worldwide explosion of so-called COVID-19 PCR testing was the Corman-Drosten Group paper published on 23rd of January 2020. Incredibly, the paper was accepted for publication within 24 hours of submission and several authors failed to declare their financial conflicts of interest with a commercial PCR test lab. Also somewhat unusually, 
version 1.0 of the paper protocol appeared on the WHO website nine days before the paper was even accepted for publication. But the Kuhlman-Drosten paper was just a lab study, meaning it didn't establish the validity of using the test in the real world. No evidence was provided about how a positive test related to the condition of COVID-19. As I've discussed in previous videos, this wasn't the only problem with this paper. And on the 26th of November 2020, a consortium of health professionals and scientists sent a retraction request letter to Eurosurveillance outlining their multiple concerns. I believe they are still awaiting a response. Back in January 2020, however, it was too late and a test that had no track record was promoted to the world as the best way to diagnose COVID-19. When the mainstream media and government scientists started telling the public that the COVID-19 PCR tests were 95% or 99% accurate, it was not made clear to the public what that actually meant. In New Zealand, for instance, the Ministry of Health website stated, and this is in February 2021, that a recent laboratory study found that different COVID-19 testing kits correctly detected COVID-19 in samples more than 95% and frequently 100% of the time. This statement is problematic for many reasons, including confusing COVID-19, the condition, with SARS-CoV-2, the alleged virus. The RT-PCR does not test for COVID-19 in samples, and if correctly detected means accuracy, the latter cannot be determined without first evaluating the true positive and true negative rates of the RNA test for infection with SARS-CoV-2. But this has never been established. What is detected in a sample is not COVID-19. What is detected is a small piece of RNA. So it seems likely that the Ministry of Health has confused the analytical specificity of the test with its diagnostic specificity for the condition. Analytical specificity in this case is how well the test can accurately detect a target RNA sequence. So if a SARS-CoV-2 RT-PCR kit has 100% analytical specificity, it tells you that it never picks up the wrong RNA molecule. But you can't get too excited because that's like saying that your blood glucose test never picks up your blood cholesterol. What we need to know is the diagnostic specificity, which is the probability that the test will be negative when the condition is not present. For example, a pregnancy test that has 100% diagnostic specificity would mean we expect all non-pregnant women to test negative. Therefore, even if a SARS-CoV-2 RT-PCR kit has 100% analytical specificity, it is still meaningless as a test for viral infection without proof of the diagnostic specificity determined against the virus. And this has never been established at all. It has been amazing to see in recent times that some virologists have turned into chemists under the spell of PCR. I was stunned to hear Australian professor of virology, Bill Rollinson, make the following statement last year on a broadcast. With basic science and improving diagnostics and the ability to sense a molecule and after all, a virus is just a piece of RNA molecule. Interestingly, after he made the statement, none of the panel of experts joining him on the broadcast even called him out on this. Maybe this was just a slip up on the professor's part, but this sort of thing could be adding to the confusion. So it's important that those of us that respect logic and the scientific method will not allow analytical specificity to be merged into diagnostic specificity and then passed off as a valid medical practice. However, the lack of formalized clinical diagnostic criteria for COVID-19 seemed to allow the sleight of hand to be hidden in plain sight. I made a video titled, What is a COVID-19 case? in late 2020 addressing this very issue. In my presentation, I show that the WHO's official document states that a confirmed COVID-19 case is a person with laboratory confirmation of COVID-19 infection irrespective of clinical signs and symptoms. This was a bad look for the WHO because it openly admitted that cases were not required to be related to disease. Just three days later, they removed the statement and published a completely revised document. While the new version looked more scientific, essentially nothing had changed as a confirmed case could still be a person with a positive nucleic acid amplification test. So... Any old positive PCR test will do. To add to the smokescreen, the WHO website released another PCR update on the 20th of January 2021 stating the assays are indicated as an aid for diagnosis. 
Yes, what do you see? Iceberg, right ahead! Thank you. On 11th of November 2020, the COVID-19 PCR tests hit some of their first major legal problems. Judges in the Lisbon Court of Appeal delivered some decisive rulings, including, in view of current scientific evidence, this test shows itself to be unable to determine beyond reasonable doubt that such positivity corresponds in fact to the infection of a person by the SARS-CoV-2 virus. That I can certainly agree with. They also said the test's reliability depends on the number of cycles used which is being far too generous because no diagnostic specificity was ever established, so cycle thresholds are meaningless in this regard as well. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that reducing cycle threshold requirements for a positive case wouldn't be a good start. It's likely that a cycle threshold of, say, 25, down from the 40 cycles typically being used, would result in such a dramatic decrease in cases that panicked policymakers would be forced to concede that they've been swept up in a PCR pandemic. With regards to even 36 or 37 cycles being classified as positive for COVID-19, PCR expert Professor Stephen Buston stated back in April 14, 2020. It's absolute nonsense. It makes no sense whatsoever. From his point of view, once you get above a cycle of about 35, that would be roughly equivalent to a single copy of target RNA. And with a single piece of RNA, it would be absurd to conclude that a person is infected. I really encourage you to listen to Professor Buston explaining the limits of PCR, and I've linked his interview with the late David Crow below. The inventor of the PCR, Carrie Mullis, had even less faith in its application for detecting infections. PCR is separate from that. It's just a process that's used to make a whole lot of something out of something. That's what also, it is. Um, but it's, the, but it's not, it doesn't tell you that you're sick, and it doesn't tell you that the thing you ended up with really was going to hurt you or anything like that. I wish I could tell you that many of the policymakers are following the science, but I get the feeling the situation is going to go on for a bit longer. Keep the conversation going in the comments and let me know if there are other aspects about PCR or diagnostics you would like me to cover next. To help media, she will not be allowed on the internet, but she holds the truth. We, the public, are not allowed to have that truth. That concerns me. In a few moments, we'll hear from Glenn, Glenn Greenwald. And time permitting, um, well, let's just keep it at that because I'm looking at my clock. don't have a lot of time. I just want to take one moment here because Valentine's Day is coming up this weekend. And I want to be able to provide a few choices, if you haven't made them already, for the people in your life that you care about, you love, and you just want to show them and give them something that will really matter. I have two separate ideas. One is uh, give them a package, and we'll send it out today. Therefore, they, they should get it in time. It contains a, a documentary, award-winning document, on having healthier hair, growing hair back, this thinning and balding. That's good. Everybody wants healthy hair. A DVD on age is only a number, a long documentary I filmed all over the United States, showing how we can slow down and reverse the aging process. Be a healthy woman. That's a very powerful uh, PBS special I did for PBS stations, um, and it is going to be a part of this package. My book, and we're almost out of them, by the way, Curing the Incurable Cookbook. This is a major book showing you how reversing all kinds of diseases by the doctors in there, like Dean Ornish with heart disease and others. Uh, and all these wonderful 220 gourmet vegan recipes, that dark chocolate is in that, and Power Berry Blast. And by the way, if there's one nutrient that will make a difference, uh, or one product, is Power Berry Blast, and all you have to do is just look at the ingredients. You're getting your raspberries, uh, you're getting beets and bananas, and you're getting your blueberries, Rice bran, stevia, cranberries, blackberries, bilberries, black currants, aronia berries, uh, guava, quercetin. Uh, you're getting the, uh, let's see, noni fruit, cherries, pineapples, goji, strawberries, acai, grapeseed extract. You're getting all of these antioxidant-rich, polyphenol-rich berries and fruits in a month's supply. So you're getting all that in one package at a tremendous savings. You're getting, uh, you're getting $139 
uh, price, you're saving $164. All right, you're saving almost, what, 55 to 60%. Now, I'm going to give you a number to call, and you call that number, and you'll be able to be helped. And by the way, this cookbook is the most comprehensive cookbook I've ever done, and it's one that people appreciate. So if you want that special for Valentine's, it'll go out today. Call 877 to get your, for yourself, because this is about health, happiness, and empowering people, everything in there. Or you can call Neil at 646, uh, 646-926-5430, 646-926-5430. And one other special, and, and this is more of a, for people who want to take that journey, who are going through loneliness, despair, circumstances in their life have changed, they don't know what to do, I put together five CDs and two DVDs. The CDs are Choosing Your Lessons in Life, Connecting with Your Inner Healer, Embracing Your Bliss, How to Manifest a Beautiful Life, and Mastering Your Opposite. These are very comprehensive, in-depth, and you haven't seen these before or heard these before. So again, this is a series that I call Love in the Time of Despair. So even with things being down for many people, we're not working the way they should, not just because of COVID, but other circumstances. There's hope. There's, there's ways of helping ourselves. I give you these five CDs. Call the same number to get love in the time of despair. Love in the time of despair. Just give a call to 903, excuse me, 877 627-5065. And we have on the line for a moment here, because I only have a moment, a man named Bruce. And Bruce was a part of our anti-aging program. And uh, we haven't heard from Bruce. I haven't spoken to him since the anti-aging. Hi, Bruce. How are you doing? Hi, Gary. Do you hear me? Here you fine. Bruce, we only have a few moments here uh, because I want to get to this Glenn Greenwald clip and the loss of our freedoms and how the mainstream media is a part of it. But tell us what you learned and what changed in your life that has given you a whole new lease on life. Well, Gary, first of all, I might mention I, I've been listening to you for over 40 years. You've been um, a tremendous positive influence in my life. I just want to acknowledge that. So, yes, I went down with 15 people um, to your anti-aging program in 2020, and we spent two months down on your ranch um, eating a strictly plant-based diet, uh, juicing beautiful uh, nature around us, fasting, intermittent fasting, meditation, taking supplements, and exercise. And for me, what it really reinforced, Gary, is what you always talk about. It's not enough to do just one thing. You really have to do everything because that's when you get the synergies and that's when you get the maximum improvement. So to give you an idea, um, when I went down there, I uh, was not really in great shape. I had a stomach, my blood pressure was high, and by the time I left, and this is only two months, um, my blood pressure went down about 30 points, my cholesterol went down about 60, about 60 points, um, my body fat went from 15%, which is fairly mediocre for a man, down to about 5.6%, um, which is pretty amazing, uh, that's the best I've ever been. I lost uh, at least 25 pounds, and I was at the weight, um, the same weight when I was uh, doing the marathons uh, with your group, Gary. Um, and also, my endurance increased dramatically. Um, like, for example, on the heavy rope test, uh, initially I was able to do maybe 30 seconds, and toward the end I was able to do uh, 65 minutes. So that was a tremendous transformation. So, um, and I've been continuing the protocol, um, more or less, I would say 85 to 90%. I haven't been fasting uh, like every weekend. But the importance, I think, is that it's not just testing one variable. It's actually throwing the kitchen sink at the issue of aging and really deciding to do the maximum that you can as an individual to maximize your health. 
And it's extremely important for people to understand that it's not just taking a supplement or even exercising. It's really a matter of looking at your health from a holistic standpoint and deciding that, yes, my health is worth it. I'm worth it. I'm willing to go down to Texas in the middle of a COVID crisis uh, with 15 other people and and do what was needed for me to turn it around. And uh, quite frankly, I, w- I was uh, a... Uh, cardiac risk, uh, according to Luann, she told me this. If um, I didn't go down there, and um, and the uh, my blood lip has changed dramatically, and I think I'm feeling a lot better, a lot more positive, and I've already made uh, a lot you. of changes. Thank you for Thank calling you. in and just sharing that with us. And by the way, we will be doing our uh, follow up to Bruce's study to confirm it. The last two weeks of April. If you want to be a part of this very important and historic anti-aging process, and do you deserve it? Ask yourself that. Do you believe that you could and should slow down and reverse the aging process, repair damage that's been done over a lifetime to your brain and liver and kidneys and heart, to have abs that you can actually see, that V line, the muscles coming up from the groin to the hip bone, to be happy, to laugh, we laugh all day long down there. Uh, it's it's very, it's a very light mood, and you're giving a lot of guidance with a lot of important uh, energy going your way. So give Luann a call if you want nine zero three, eight eight one, seven zero zero eight nine zero three eight eight one seven zero zero eight. And by the way, I'm looking for some citizen journalists. We've come across something very important. Does anyone in the audience speak uh, fluent German? Because I just was on the phone this morning with uh, a person who won a lawsuit uh, against Wikipedia. And the people who helped him do it, who did his research, it turns out they've done 36 30-minute documentaries uh, deconstructing the myths about Wikipedia. I'd like to get those. I've been given permission now to translate those into English so we can put them all over the place. But I need someone who speaks uh, German, so we can translate that, and then I can have my editors put it in closed captions. If you do, call our office uh, at 646-926-5422. Speak with Jessica. All right, and also go to prn.fn and download our free newsletter so you're up to date on everything. And we have a new a new site, garyandall.com, garyandall.com. Hundreds of articles, videos, all the stuff just on what we're doing and creating on a regular basis. Okay, now let's go over and hear this Tucker Carlson clip where he interviews uh, Glenn Greenwald in a way that shares some insights that we would otherwise not be hearing anywhere in the mainstream media. And what they're saying is accurate when it comes to the vaccine. But here's the interesting part. Later on, uh, Tucker interviewed his physician expert who comes on and he's pro-COVID vaccine. and, and unfortunately, Tucker has not obviously seen all the research that would show him that there's a lot of reasons to say no to using a vaccine because he has not seen the evidence that we've presented others showing that almost every part of this COVID pandemic has been inflated or miscast or is wrong. Uh, so we're sending him out today over 50 articles on COVID on deconstructing the myths that are out there, because if he starts to talk with the six million people who watch him each day, that can cause people to start sharing information they wouldn't otherwise have or have the wrong information from some conspiracy theories have no scholarship in what they're saying. So that's what's important. Now let's go to this clip. Media took it upon themselves to enforce this rule. Just yesterday, CNN ran a story with this headline, quote, Facebook vowed to crack down on COVID-19 vaccine misinformation, but misleading posts remain easy to find. That's not a news story. That's an open call for censorship, and it worked. CNN identified a group on Facebook called COVID-19 Vaccine Injury Stories, and the group was exactly what it sounds like, people talking about their experiences with the vaccine. Last week, that group was in the top 20 groups on all of Facebook. Today, after the CNN piece came out, we searched for that group. We couldn't find it, even when we searched specifically for its name. 
Effectively, COVID-19 vaccine injury stories no longer exists. CNN shut them down, erased them. Instead, search for the word vaccine on Facebook and you will find a lot of material, exclusively material, that matches precisely the storyline approved by Melinda Gates and her fellow non-scientist billionaires. And the line is clear, you've heard it a million times. The COVID vaccine is morally good, period. Don't dare say anything else. So if your neighbor drops dead after getting the shot, keep it to yourself. Facts like that are not allowed on Facebook, nor on Twitter. They've got the same policy. Quote, I posted that there were multiple reports of adverse reactions to the vaccine, wrote one Twitter user, and that the vaccines were still not fully tri trialed on pregnant women and kids. Twitter banned me until I deleted it for false information. Is it false information? That's irrelevant. According to another user, quote, Twitter suspended me for saying that vaccines have known side effects, end quote, which of course they do. Physicians who develop vaccines concede that, but at the moment you are not allowed to say it. Facebook has long led the way in this kind of censorship. Last year, the company prohibited users from buying any advertisement that might discourage people from taking the vaccine or that might portray the new vaccines as, quote, unsafe or ineffective. Now, in the months since, tens of millions of Americans have been vaccinated and most of them seem fine. On the other hand, scientists are now conceding on the record that the vaccine may trigger a fatal blood disorder in a small number of people. The New York Times wrote about it the other day. It's one of those stories you should save as a period piece for when the current darkness finally lifts and we can think and speak clearly again. Two of the people the New York Times interviewed wouldn't even give their names. One said she'd been badly injured by the drug, but she feared she'd be punished if she criticized the vaccine in public. In the picture the New York Times ran, she covered her face like she was a fugitive. Science can't live in an environment like this. Without relentless skepticism, science dies. That's what science is, relentless skepticism. And when it leaves, inevitably it's replaced by witchcraft and superstition. Are we there yet? You decide. The liberal website Vox recently ran a piece complaining that Facebook users were still being allowed to, quote, make fun of COVID-19 vaccination. And this offended them. Mockery is always the gravest threat to false religions. Vox demanded that Facebook remove the offending content immediately. As an example, Vox highlighted this image, which they, which they noted with alarm, had already been shared more than 100,000 times on Facebook. And this infuriated them. Damn those smirking Americans. Make them stop laughing. And in a way, it is amusing. Even with total blanket censorship, it is pretty hard to crush the average person's sense of humor. But you've got to wonder, if they can force you to stop laughing about vaccines, what can't they make you do? Glenn Greenwald is a truly independent journalist whose work appears on Substack and that we hope you'll support. He joins us tonight. Glenn, thanks for coming on. I don't think you have to have a position on vaccines, for whatever it's worth, I'm for them, to think that it's very troubling news organizations or the government or billionaires or anybody would try and censor open conversation about their effects. Well, we've obviously talked a lot, Tucker, about the practice of censoring for political opinion, declaring things hate speech right. or offensive and the dangers of censoring for that. I actually think this this pretense that they're able, this conceit that they're able to decree right and wrong, truth and falsity to the point where they can ban things that they declare to be false is even more pernicious than opinion-based censorship. The irony, think about this, if this Facebook policy had existed Back in March, less than a year ago, that says that if you dissent from consent, the consensus of the World Health Organization and scientific experts, you will be banned from their platform. That would have meant that if you were somebody who in March went onto Facebook and said, I believe that you should wear masks. I believe that masks are effective against respiratory diseases of the kind that SARS and COVID-19 represent. You would have been banned because the science back then said that you shouldn't wear masks. Dr. Fauci was saying, don't wear masks. They were saying, not only are masks unnecessary, they could actually be dangerous. That's the whole point of science. Everything they do, these liberal guardians of 
orthodoxy and piety is about trying to make you think that they have a monopoly on objective truth by calling it science. Science is a human study, which means it's fallible. And exactly as you said, it is extremely dangerous to say that any kind of human knowledge is so unchallengeable to being discussed that it's off limits from even being questioned. I'm I'm worried that maybe paradoxically, their demand that you believe what they say will result in millions of Americans not believing what anybody says. This will have an effect on people's faith in knowable truth. It'll have an effect on their mental health. It will make people crazy. That's my concern. Well, no, and I, I think that's valid. You know, I, agree, I have the same view as you do, which is when the vaccine is available where I live, I'm going to get it. My family's going to take it as well, because the reason I'm, I'm, I'm convinced, not that it's clearly true, but probably the best course for me and my family is because I informed myself. I used the free and open Internet to look at what experts were saying. I sought out dissenting opinion, and I was convinced that the consensus was probably right, that taking the vaccine was the best thing to do. But if the Internet were a place where no dissent were allowed, I would have way less confidence in that right. ability because that would mean this is a profession that isn't confident enough to allow dissent. And if they're not confident enough to allow dissent, I think that they earn much less trust and faith in their pronouncements. Yes, I think it's a really wise observation. So I have to ask you, and I'm not sure the answer myself, why are they doing it? If it has the opposite of the intended effect, and that seems like it makes sense that it would, why are they continuing to do this, do you think? I think it's so important to recognize that Silicon Valley companies are not the ones who want to do this. They are they they would rather stay as far away from censoring and arbitrating and intervening and kicking people off their platforms, not because they're noble and nice, but because it's in their business self-interest not to do it. They're right. being pressured to do it, Tucker. This is what's so amazing by CNN and NBC and New York Times who are saying every time you allow information over your platform that we think is wrong. We're going to shame you. We're going to disgrace you. And they have their partners who are the Democratic Party who control the entire government now who are right along with them saying, we demand that you censor more. They're being pressured, led by journalists who are now the yes. leading activists to destroy free discourse and free thought in the United States. That's the dynamic that we have to understand. I think you're exactly right. I don't think we can say that enough. Glenn Greenwald, thank you for that wise assessment. I appreciate it. Thanks, Tucker. I have one of the world's leading and most respected independent journalists talking about this. Now, here's where I would offer Glenn a different perspective. Glenn has clearly not seen all of the documentation that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. or Barbara Lowe Fisher or I, Richard Gale, have produced all fully uh, vetted for accuracy, done with scholarship that could withstand scrutiny or cross-examination in a court of law. That's the standards for everything I do. And if he read those about, for example, on, on COVID, if he saw that the PCR test is not a test to use for diagnosis, and yet it's 100% used for diagnosis, then he would say, well, hold on, this makes no sense. Then it's an invalid test, and everything coming after that, then you don't really have the virus, or you may have the virus and not test, right? then that you scrap all that. That's what you do. You let it go. That's what science does. But real science is not allowed to, to have a position at the table. So that's why you have nearly now 100,000 more or less scientists, uh, physicians, and activists who are challenging Anthony Fauci, Bill Gates, and others. They're coming out of the woodwork, as this one medical doctor today. Nothing controversial in her background, a regular medical doctor from New Zealand, but she knows the truth. She did her homework. Glenn Greenwald has yet to open that door for that particular type of homework. He would also know that it is wrong uh, to call someone a case when they're just testing positive. A case gives you the idea that a person is sick and you're not. He would challenge the, uh, the staying at home and what happens when a person stays at home and then all the jobs that are lost and the psychological stress leading to suicidality, obesity, etc.? Uh, that would be challenged. And then the efficacy and safety of the vaccine, the headlines across the world, 95% effective. No, it was 0.7 in actual terms. They used a theoretical model. We showed you the actual model. We wrote an article on it. It's on uh, uh, com. It's also on a, a brand-new website we've created, vaccinenation.net, vaccinenation.net.
So, uh, and then we would show you the natural drugs, or not natural, but the the traditional drugs that are completely safe when used at the right doses, like ivermectin and or hydroxychloroquine with zinc, uh, to stop this from occurring in people who are working in the front lines or to stop it from manifesting once you have some symptoms. And he was saying, my God, they're promoting a, expensive drugs and they're promoting vaccines, which are purely experimental. And yet here are drugs that are known by hundreds of scientific peer-reviewed journals to work. So you see both Tucker and he needs this. I'm suggesting someone in our audience, any of you, citizen activists, you can go to my website, collect all this information. It's all in one place and send it to Glenn Greenwald and send it also to Tucker Carlson. So with the hope that they are open-minded enough to see that real science, true science, true public health, they have not yet been made aware of. I'm Gary Nolm. We're out of time. Thank you all for listening. Share the information and have a nice day.